You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing, positive impact on their city and the world. We're such a good example of how much a space plays in our own personal transformation, in our own connection, and the fact that if the space doesn't exist, both physically and metaphysically, as in culturally and the actual design of the space, if that isn't intentional and doesn't exist, then it's very hard to actually influence human dynamics and human behavior in a way that's going to cause growth or evolution. I first came across today's guest when reading of a co-living experiment I was about to embark upon in inner urban Melbourne. I was fascinated. The role of design on the physical spaces we live in is something I have been curious about since I was a boy. One of my favorite things is to wander around a city, wondering about its design and how improving it could change the way we feel and live. I was intrigued to learn about how applying this same intentionality of design to the places we call home, and whom we call them home with, could meet many of the urban issues we now face. I am Adam Murray, and my guest today is Al Jeffrey, who is subtly disrupting urban living. Excellent to be talking with you today. Yeah, um, it's lovely to be here too. Where are we? Talk about why you picked this place uh-huh. and where we are. Well, where we actually are, specifically in the place, is nothing like I actually envisioned. So, um, sitting here on the stage with no audience, with the lights flaring in our <laughs> face, feeling like rock stars, is pretty incredible. But we are at SheBean, um, which is a social enterprise in Melbourne. Very, uh, I don't know, I, I like to kind of, same as Feast of Merit as well, whenever there's a meeting or any, anything where I need to meet someone at a place, I like to s- choose somewhere that is either a social enterprise or just doing something epic and cool. Yep. And so with SheBean, um, it is a cafe, it's a music venue, uh, and they run seminars and things in here as well. So it's very much aligned with my values, but it also has a give back model where you know what comes in is obviously directly relative to what goes out with the impact projects that they do in developing communities. Yeah. Um, and Simon Griffiths, the guy behind it as well, is to hear the story behind how hard it was to start this up and the dedication and devotion it took for him to actually get the property yeah. and start it up is quite a story. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in the context of base and everything that we're trying to do with base as well, it was quite an inspiration to hear how, you know, how difficult it is with property in Melbourne when you have something like this that is kind of different, um, the business model is different, and so financing it's kind of tricky, but he, he did it. Um, so there's that kind of relationship as well. Yeah. But where we are specifically now with the lights in our face, it kind of feels cool. <laughs> it does feel very cool. And like I said before, you should have sold tickets. To yeah, this. well. <laughs> anyway. We can just pretend. We can. I have been in here, this room a couple of times to listen. I heard Simon speak here actually as part okay. of the Disruptive Business Network, which we were talking about uh-huh. earlier. Before, yeah. Heard a little bit of his story mm-hmm. and about who gives a crap Yeah, well. exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's doing some It's, awesome it's good to see that toilet paper now in more and more spaces. Like a lot yes. of the co-working spaces in Melbourne use it. Um, it's cool. And also, thank you. Like Daniel Flynn also. Um, yeah, to see the whole kind of social enterprise ecosystem in Melbourne support each other. Yes. Like to see this place use thank you and who gives a crap. To see other <laughs> yeah. places use both. It's like everything's becoming more whole together. It is. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it feels like actually every cafe I walk into... Mm. You know, I usually use the toilets at the cafe. Yeah. I, I can't remember the last cafe I walked into in Melbourne that didn't have who gives a crap 
toilet yeah, paper in there. Exactly. And yeah. they always make sure they show the packaging so you know. They do. I love that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just so you know, we're using conscious toilet paper. Yeah. But that's a good thing. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's pretty interesting that um, that you choose to have meetings in places like that. Like what? I'm interested in the build up to that. Uh -huh. Like what? You know, how old are you? You're 21. You're 21. So, you know, you've, you've done some, you know, we'll probably get into it a bit as we go along this mm -hmm. conversation, but you've done some pretty amazing things in a short period of time. Uh -huh. What's been the, I mean... What's brought you to this point now? Like, what are what are some of the interesting things or pivotal mm. things that have brought you to where you are? Um, firstly, whenever I mention I'm 21 and you say it's a short amount of time, I'm like, shit, yeah, I probably shouldn't get caught up with get doing everything now as much as I do. But <laughs> um, curiosity is first word that came to my mm. mind. Uh, when I was 12, sitting and watching Jumanji with my brother on the couch, a World Vision ad came up to sponsor a child. And that was the first thing that sparked the whole questioning for me into what is this? Why is this? How can we make it better? Why is it that we have to sponsor children? Like that was, that switched me off from the rest of the movie, Jumanji, and I was just in my head the whole time thinking about that. Yeah. And um, yeah, really trying to figure out what is the kind of the lead domino or the crux, as I call it, of it all. Like what's the underlying pattern that has led to us having to sponsor children, having to be a lot more conscious about the planet? Like why have we got to this place and time? And so I started questioning things about, you know, human behavior and culture, sociology, ecology, and how it all plays with each other. Mm. But then also questioning, so that was the what, like questioning what was going on and what, what's behind it all, but then also questioning how can I influence it? So I started questioning like business, uh, celebrity, how can I influence through fame? And uh, at the time I just thought business was, for me, the, the most realistic thing. And so I got into business, um, and that's kind of where all that started. But it's always been, what is the underlying pattern beneath this? Uh, and started out with human behavior, and then neuroscience, and then got interested in, obviously, quantum physics, quantum theory, and like what is the fabric of human existence in its most um, purest form? Yeah. And how can we, number one, be aware of all of that, but then number two, actually be more conscious in how we deal with it mm. in our day-to-day -day lives and as humans. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, and because the question is so vast as to like, what is the fabric of human existence and the human condition, it never stops. Yeah. Because it's kind of like, um, you can only see, it's like you can only see a 2D object from a 3D perspective. I can only see the human condition from my condition, which itself is a human condition. So I can never stop exploring it because yeah. I'm it, I'm within it. Um, so yeah, the journey just keeps going, going, going. Yeah. Yeah, but it started with the curiosity as to what is the underlying pattern beneath the world as it is today, yeah. um, which some would say isn't too good. I say, yeah, it's not too good, but it's also better than it's ever been. Um, and yeah, so how can we kind of evolve to a more conscious, Date. Yeah, I really like what you say there about being curiosity driven yeah. as well. I think that's a really powerful thing mm -hmm. that um, uh, people generally don't give themselves enough permission just to follow their curiosities. I think everyone has those curiosities, oh, yeah. right? But um, sounds like you've given yourself a lot of permission or you had a lot of permission mm -hmm. to just follow that string and see where it went. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I'm very grateful for my parents, of course. At the same time, I have avoided them a fair bit, <laughs> um, simply because I definitely feel like the outlier in my, my family and around the dinner table. 
because a lot of things I talk about or that I do and that I do day to day, they just don't get. Uh, like if I go home and say, oh yeah, I was just talking with Adam on a podcast today, like what's the podcast? What's? <laughs> yeah. like, um, so part of it, part of me giving myself permission to give myself space to be curious was um, not separating myself from my parents, but I don't know, just creating space between myself and my parents mm. so that I could be me yep. and not just be a child. Um, and actually in the last three weeks, I've gone through a lot of stuff about letting go of my child role and becoming more of a human. So becoming me and realizing with my parents that I love you and you love me and I get that, but I'm a separate human being and I am me and I'm on a different mission and we can love each other knowing that we're that. We don't have to play the mum role and the dad role. Yeah. We can be separate humans, but know that we love each other. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of creating that space between us that meant that the generational gap didn't have such an influence on me. Yeah. Which it still does. Yeah. And it's very frustrating. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I dealt with it. Very, at the time, it wasn't like, hmm, let me see how I can make this work. Let's create a gap. But now looking back at it, it's like, that's how it happened. That's what happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, did you finish high school, get a university, go down that? Kind of I did, yeah, I finished high school. Yeah. I was um, school captain in primary school, high school. I was very academically like switched on and whatever until year 10. And then business and my clothing brand at the time was quite successful. <laughs> and so I'd be ducking out of class to take calls and my teachers would get it and let me and that was all good. And so my <laughs> grades kind of sunk in year 10. Not yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, I was still very up there in terms of the... Um, I wasn't the ducks of the school, but I was very close to. Um, but everyone was like, what's going on? Because there was a very clear gap between my year nine results and my year 10 results. Right. Um, but then I was school, still school captain, so that was all good. And then I did go to university for three weeks, <laughs> <laughs> studying Bachelor of Commerce, majoring in entrepreneurship, yeah. more so because my parents wanted me to. Was that and at so, Swinburne or where was that? Yeah, I was at Swinburne. Yeah. Um, so I said, yes, I'll go. And then the week before census, which is yeah, when you can get to cut off but without paying any fees. Yeah. I just did not like it um, at all. It was not for me. I loved the people and that was all along. I was like, yeah, I'm going to university, mum and dad, that's cool. Um, I'm going for the people. And like, what's the point of going? Like, well, that's, that's all I'm going for is the people. Yeah. I don't really mind about anything else. Like, oh, what's the point? Um, but then, yeah, I decided I'll take them out to lunch and I'll explain to them that this is not for me. So I took mum and dad out to lunch at some Vietnamese restaurant along Glentray Road yeah. and just said that, um, I asked them, what do you want for your children? Like, at the end of the day, what do you want for me? And it's obviously happiness. So I said, well, to be honest, I'm not happy here. And would it be okay if I could prove to you in a year that I don't need university? And so I came at it very strategically in a way. You did. Um, but then they're like, okay, I suppose. I don't want my child to be unhappy. I was like, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I left. But it was just studying entrepreneurship. When I signed up, I was like, how, the f how do you study entrepreneurship yeah. academically? Um, I regard it as an action sport. Mm -hmm. You have to put in the hours. You have to emotionally feel what comes up when you get rejected. Um, you have to be resourceful. You can't get fed. Like Those things you just don't learn by studying it by the book. And sitting there in the entrepreneurship class with a lecturer who obviously wasn't that successful as an entrepreneur, mm. um, and said it very blatantly, which was <laughs> yeah. even more odd. Yeah. But with people next to me, just just very naively question and come up with ideas about, oh, I feel like next week I can just come up with a $2 million business. Oh, now I know this now. It's like, oh yeah, great. So when are you gonna take the first step? 
when you get over the fear of failure. How do you learn to get over the fear of failure? Not in the classroom. Mm. Um, and it's like, we can learn all this academic stuff and intellectual stuff, but until my body learns it and my emotions learn it, yeah. and not just my brain, uh, I haven't learned it. Yeah. So I'm sorry, but I'm going to go and do it instead. Yeah. But yeah, that was my school experience. Um, always, though, learning outside of the classroom. Okay. Like, from 14 to 16, I took a big break from business to do personal discovery. Um, and like personal transformations. Every weekend I'd be at a seminar with either Tony Robbins, Dee Martini, Ben Harvey, whoever, to look inward and grow myself, knowing that that was the foundation of everything that comes out of me. Um, and yes, yeah, so I'd always be investing in other education. Yeah. Um, just because I knew that if, I'm, if I want to be like everyone else, I do what everyone else does. Yeah. Um, and that's cool. Yeah. I and mean, that's not going to create the 1% or the 2% that we need to be. Like, just didn't make sense. Man, that's fascinating. Like, like when I listen to you talk, there seems to be uh, a very strong ability to know what you want and what you need, uh -huh. and then to follow that as well. Like, you've got the courage to do that, and you seem to have had that from, you know, well, mm. as long as you can probably remember. Is that yeah. is that something that you think your parents taught you, or was it just innate in you, or was it because of some people that you came across through yeah. that journey? Because um, I'm a martial artist, I, I think martial arts has definitely had a big impact on me in terms of my confidence, my discipline, focus, perseverance, all of that. Um, and the martial arts school that I went to and taught at, Paragon Martial Arts, was very big on character development. It was kind of like bring the kids into the door uh, with karate, but then we actually teach them what they need, which is character development and leadership development. Yeah. So we had, yes, we do kicking and punching and all the fun stuff, but we really learned all the character development skills. So we had the, uh, I think it was eight black belt qualities, which were focus, confidence, self-discipline, respect, strength, perseverance, and excellence, which is what? Yeah, that's eight, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all of those were kind of, not drilled into me, but subconsciously kind of programmed from six years old. Um, and that helped, obviously. And I don't know, my parents really did give me a lot of room just to explore mm. while I was a child. Like, running a business at 12, um, to have the space to do that is pretty special. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. They, they definitely be contributors. When I was 14, though, I basically wrote a book about my future. <laughs> yeah. Because I didn't see many people who were living the life they wanted, simply because I didn't know what the life they wanted looked like. Yeah. So I wrote a book about my whole future. that was like, I'm going to get up at this time, when I look across the pillow, I see this person. When I open the window, I look out and see this. When I go to work, I talk with these people about these things. Like just sculpting my whole day yeah. um, to be completely clear. And that was a, a year project of like every day adding more, adding more. Think of something that I wanted to do, add it in. Um, which was great at the time because it made me super clear. But over the next six years, I was so in my head the whole time. Very not present. Um, I've just created this whole set of expectations for myself, basically, by mm. writing this book, mm. which was not so good. But the act of actually crafting that, I think, has really instilled a deep kind of um, uh, understanding of what it is that I want. And these days, I don't consciously go after that, but because of all that stuff that I've done, I've kind of subconsciously become very clear over what it is that I stand for and that I want. Yeah. Um, and so now I don't have to be in my head about it all the time but I can know that my body knows as well that this doesn't gel well, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Um, this person I just don't agree with, they're a separate person, that's cool, they can move on, I'll go this way. Like, I can now do that more subconsciously so yeah. that I'm not out of the present moment. 
Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. But it caused a lot of problems for the last, for the last six years, actually, um, where I was always comparing myself with that story I told myself about myself and my future. Yeah. Um, which a lot of us have, but it was kind of amplified for me because I wrote a freaking book on it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, I've done an exercise similar to that a few times, like just writing out my perfect day yeah. scenario, which I find a really useful thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's, I guess, kind of what you're saying is it's it's good to do that kind it's, of thing. And then forget about it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> like knowing that doing it is subconsciously programming it. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to actively like chase it all the time. Yeah. I don't know if you read the book Cyber, Cyber Cybernetics. No, I haven't. Okay, um, but it's all about our auto success, success mechanism and how our brain is like an autopilot. If we give it a very succinct and clear goal, it will automatically get us there um, at the end of the day, unless we get in the way. Like it talks about throwing the ball to a dog. If you imagine the ball is your goal and the dog is your automatic success mechanism. If you throw the ball to the dog, but then hold on to the ball, there's no way the dog can grab it and pull it back to you. But if you throw the ball to the dog, it will eventually get the ball and bring it back to you. And so your goal, if you put it out there and then hold on to it so tightly and try and pull, it, pull yourself towards it, you're very rarely going to get there. Yeah. And if you are, you're going to be completely burnt out or stressed or unhappy anyway. But if you put it out there and let you know your internal success mechanism and nature and the environment, everything, play its role in bringing it back to you, it will. Mm. Um, as long, though, as it's a goal that was come up with from actual inquiry instead of desire or something else. Um, so yeah, that's what I started after doing this whole process and realizing how entrenched it got me into my story, um, become much more conscious in setting goals or intentions based on um, something other than my desire. Yeah. Because uh, they're great, but... Yeah, anyway, it's a whole a rabbit hole. Yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that, I think, as we start to talk about some of the things that you're going to be working on. Okay. Just to cut back for a minute. So you did your three weeks at university, mm-hmm. you talked to your mum and dad, and you said, you know, give me a year and I'll yeah. show you, you know, that I can be happy without university. Yeah. What happened? So in that year, that was 2013, um, at the time I was running a business called Get Busy, which was, thinking back, not in line with me at all, and that's why it doesn't exist anymore, but... It was an online platform for small businesses, more so tradies, um, to manage their mobile presence and online presence and merge the two. And so a subscription model, people sign up, um, like carpenters, electricians, whatever, so that they could have their online presence on their mobile and on their website, and both of them emerged. And it would track their listings in like directories and whatever as well. Mm -hmm. So that got me uh, 30 under 30 30 entrepreneur in Australia, um, the only one under 20 in 2013 which I remember dad sending me a text because I didn't find out I was in that list until someone else texted me and said, congratulations. I was like, what? And I looked <laughs> yeah. and I was like, oh, fuck yeah, sweet. Yeah. Um, but I remember dad texting me specifically, which is, it actually happens very rarely, to say that I'm very proud, blah, blah, blah. And at that moment, like I was like, finally, they kind of see that there is another way and yeah. it's possible. It's hard. I get that and they get that, but it's possible. Wow. Um, so that was one thing that happened, and then One World Summit also started at the end of 2013, which we brought together 250 young entrepreneurs and change makers, and it was a very successful event in the media, whatever. That was in Melbourne? That was in yeah. Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah, Jasper Hotel near Melbourne Central. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those two things. More so the entrepreneurship 30 under 31, I think getting the um, affirmation by the media to say that, yes, Elle is, at the time, Alex, is... Um, 
yeah, kind of one of 30 recognized entrepreneurs in Australia. Yeah, that's amazing. That kind of made them have more confidence, I would yeah. say. Um, so yeah, that's what happened. But then Get Busy kind of dwindled out because it was so not in alignment with me. Right. And the whole time I was trying to make it by we were partnering with a company in Tanzania that was doing local uh, entrepreneurship development yep. to to create the rising generation of entrepreneurs in a developing community. And so the whole time I was trying to replicate our models and systems in Tanzania and my business partner was like, no, 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 I'm just Melbourne, just Melbourne. I was like, no, but, and so the whole time I was trying to make it more like me, but it just wasn't happening. And so I just, when I got invited to the States, I was like, okay, I'm going to be in the States doing what I love and what I'm meant to do. Um, I don't have time to get busy anymore. Yeah. Um, but it created that moment, so that was cool. And so what was that moment? How did you get invited to the States and what, what was that um, So I co-wrote a book as well, Two Billion Under 20, with about 35 other authors. What was it called again? Two Billion Under 20. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there are two billion people under 20. I don't think so, but it's just the title it's of the book. Um, about 35 other people from different countries. I was the Australian co-author and the... Um, editor, Stacey Ferreira, knew Eric Glustrom, who was the founder of a personal transformation program in the States, and she introduced me to him, and then he invited me over. So Watson was why I was there, Watson University, yeah. which is like an incubator program for startups, but they incubate you as a person, yeah. knowing that we can incubate the idea that's cool, but it's only going to grow as much as the um, limitations of the team behind it grow. So we're going to incubate the people. So I got invited there, 10 of us from 10 different countries, and just six months living in the Rocky Mountains in our own log cabins, just being pounded oh each day by facilitators to grow through our own shit. And it was the most incredible experience for me. I'd never been outside Australia. Yeah. And so I had three weeks to organize my passport, my visa, and get over there. Yeah. Uh, and that was with Christmas and New Year's in between. So I had to hustle, luckily I knew someone in the embassy here, so I had to fast track it through. Yep. And yeah, from then on, it was just the most incredible like personal transformation journey for me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it shifted a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. And I mean, I'm not sure if I want to talk too much about that. We could probably talk about that for yeah, hours. Yeah, that could be a whole, yeah. Yeah, but one of the things that seemed to spin out of that was the One World Summit, uh -huh. is that right? Yeah, yeah. so that came uh, I don't know whether it was because of Get Busy or One World Summit that I was invited to Watson. Right. Uh, I feel like more One World Summit. Um, so One World Summit was a project that was born out of a previous project that I'd run, um, which was a child labor campaign. Because of the clothing brand I ran, I became interested in child labor. Mm. Um, because we were sourcing ethical products and whatever, and I just saw 256 million children affected by child labor every day. Yeah. And the fact that that's at least 10 times the population of Australia was just incredible to visualize. Um, I remember actually seeing, creating the campaign and putting 10 Australias, like pictures of Australias beside each other and just visualizing that. I was like, fuck, yeah, yeah, I needed to be doing something here. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that project, we'll partner with ABC and Save the Children and a lot of our team were volunteers from uh, uh, each state of Australia, we had about 30 volunteers in each. And university exams came up and they just, plopped away. So I had no team basically except myself. And uh, this event, One World Summit, was meant to be an event to recruit a new team. So that's why we ran One World Summit. But we gave ourselves six weeks to organize the event and halfway through organizing it, um, I had a call with one of my coaches at the time and realized that I'm not meant to be focusing on one cause. I'm not meant to be focusing on child labor. Um, what actually excites me is focusing on people and helping them find what excites them. 
yeah. and what light they want to shine. Um, and so the event became not a recruiting tool for the previous project, but an event to inspire, activate, and connect this generation's visionaries. Yeah. Um, and so that, yeah, 250 people we had no idea what we'd done because we shifted our focus three weeks before the event. <laughs> yeah. And we had no idea what was next because it was just meant to be this once-off recruiting event. Um, but everyone loved it. They wanted to do something afterwards. They had no idea how to, and so they wanted to give their energy back into it. And so all of a sudden, it went to Singapore, New York, Boulder, uh, San Francisco, Cape Town, Malaysia, and Melbourne, obviously. Um, so in 2014, last year? Is that last year? Wow. Um, in 2014, it went to seven different cities around the world. Um, and now we just partnered with Startup Grind to take it to hopefully every city that Startup Grind has a presence in next year and onwards. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's where One One Summit started. Yeah. And then that was the birthplace of the next thing. And it's just funny thinking back as to how one thing led to the other, then the other. It's just, yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And so what is the next thing? So the next thing is Base, which is, um, well, Base itself is now the holding company for One World Summit yeah. and the physical co-living space. So with One World Summit, we realized, and from my experience in Colorado, where the whole uh, program I was in was such a good example of how much a space plays in our own personal transformation, in our own mm -hmm. connection, and the fact that if the space doesn't exist, both physically and metaphysically, as in culturally and the actual design of a space, if that isn't intentional and doesn't exist, then it's very hard to actually influence human dynamics and human behavior um, in a way that's going to cause growth or evolution. And so because of that, I realized that we can create events that connect people, inspire people, and know, incubate their own growth, but they're going to be going back to spaces and workplaces and homes and everything that don't fuel that and don't nurture that. Yeah. Um, and so it's not going to be sustainable. And yeah, I started summit experience and then back exactly. to reality. Exactly. Yeah. Reality in, in quotation marks. Um, and I was getting into the festival scene as well. So as a speaker, I speak at a lot of music festivals, and as a musician, I was starting to get more into music festivals as well, which was happened by chance. And I was like, shit, yeah, finally the day is coming around in festivals um, and the whole festival culture like the whole new age festival culture with Burning Man like Rainbow Serpent all of these ones there's always a conversation after them about what next we have this massive event that's almost like a, a high off a drug you go to Rainbow Serpent and you enter this altered state um, but like the come down off a drug you almost get depressed when you come away from a festival mm -hmm. and people look at you with weird eyes, they don't give you a hug. Um, it's just yeah. weird. Yeah. Like it's this whole new culture within, it's not counterculture, but it's a different culture within festivals. Yeah. Um, and then you come out and the culture isn't represented outside the festival. Um, and so all those conversations as well were kind of like, how do we create a sustainable culture like this outside of it? Yeah. And the answer is we have to create new spaces. Um, both within corporates, within work, with everywhere. And so then BASE came up, which was all about creating co-living spaces, which is a way to create a space, but also a way to serve the nomadic generation that wants to be more nomadic, more free, more connected, more autonomous, more on purpose. Um, and it just so happened that at the time, this massive trend is kind of growing uh, in Sweden, is in it, yeah. America. So many co-living spaces are popping up. Right. Yeah. Um, I always say that we're kind of heading back to the future, literally. <laughs> like we're wanting to live more in tribe kind of settings because yeah. we want to be more connected on a human level rather than just technologically. And we're taking all the wisdom we've learned with us forward into the future and we're using technology. So we're literally going back to the future. Yeah. But base is all about 
uh, where we say that we create and facilitate spaces and experiences for the incubation of people and ideas. Um, so the experiences are the One World Summit, for now. Um, that'll be running in 15 cities around the world, and yeah. if, if not more. And the spaces is what we're starting in Melbourne to actually create a physical co-living space where people can live the new paradigm about connection, about expression, whether that be through entrepreneurship or art or whatever, yeah. um, about personal liberation and growth, and about service or purpose or stewardship. Um, so that's what we're doing, spaces. Yeah, I think it's so cool. I really love what you're saying about place and space as mm -hmm. well like I have that same real affinity with um, like I did a I did a bit of an urban design and urban place making course uh -huh. um, post-grad and I like I love sitting in cities and just seeing and pondering how they work and why they work or why a good cafe works right mm -hmm. and why it's just a place that brings people together or why uh, you know you go through New York and there's just some amazing urban spaces yeah there. so yeah um, yeah, I really get that idea of place and I can see it becoming more and more important in people's mm. lives, right? Exactly. Yeah. As a, um, I'm not sure if you know Jason Silver. No. Um, but he's a big inspiration of mine. I just got introduced to him a week ago as well, which I can't wait to uh, explore. But um, he talks about how we design spaces and they design us back. And so the feedback loop between a space and us mm -hmm. and how so far a lot of it's been done unconsciously and very unintentionally. Yeah. So we'll design a square room and whatever without realizing that the physical space design influenced human behavior so much. Yeah. But now that we know the science behind you know, having a circular room with windows, certain colors, certain frequency of lighting, maybe even certain sounds playing in the room, um, certain sense, that all the things that make up the human experience influence our human behavior based on prior experience, prior associations that we were brought up with in our childhood. Um, now that we can more consciously design spaces for the uh, particular behaviors that we want to like bring yeah, about in yeah. a room um, it's incredibly exciting to see what spaces are popping up now yeah and, like that's what we want base to be is a space that is consciously designed to create behaviors that are going to fuel creative expression connection personal discovery and growth yeah. and some form of inf uh, impact um, so yeah the whole I think the field's called ontological design um, but it's something I'm definitely interested in. Yeah. And corporates are starting to be as well, of course. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So you're, so the, the space in Richmond base yeah. is, um, when's it going to be opening? So originally we were saying late October. That was when we were all like, go, 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 so excited. Because um, Simon, my partner and I are both incredibly excited to live there because we want to. <laughs> yeah. So we were like trying to get it going ASAP. But then we realized we need to take a step back because we're rushing it. Um, and also a few things came up with the property as well. So it's probably going to be end of Feb next year, yeah. which will be better because, you know, launching at the beginning of the year is probably a bit better than before Christmas. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, we're starting up a smaller space um, in Richmond or either in Richmond or Fitzroy, we're still deciding. Okay. That will have some of our applicants live there, not all of them because we can't find a space that's big enough. That's yeah. why we've got to create one. Um, but some of our applicants will live there just to start to form a norm as a community. And then when the actual space is ready, they can move in there. But we'll keep both because this earlier one will, will kind of act as a waitlist space. Yeah. So people can always come in and start to um, become familiar with the culture and what it stands for and then transition across. But yeah, so an initial space is going to open in the next month, a smaller space. Okay. Um, but the actual space will open early next year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just in terms of what you're talking about there in terms of design, uh -huh. what 
what are you starting to think about with that space in particular? Like, how are you going to design it? So a lot of it, because it's a funny balance between we want the community to have input into how it's designed as well. So some of, a lot of the applicants are like, oh, do you mind if I paint on the wall? We're like, no, of course not. That's what it's for. Go for it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we need to put conscious effort into how things are done. So it's going to be funny to find the balance. And it's, a, and it's an experiment, the first one. Um, we've made that very clear that we are experimenting with the balance between everything, mm. like the balance between um, community decision making and us as directors having decision making right it's like what's the balance between it all yeah. in a modern world how can you live tribally kind of thing yeah um so so far it's going to be um and we haven't thought too much about this we're talking with a group of architects about it as well um and with a few guys in hong kong and san francisco but very kind of blank slate so very light colors um definitely a lot of meeting places like jason silver also talks about idea sex and how a lot of cities and a lot of corporates are designed in corridors and straight lines and there's very little meeting place. Mm. So a lot of circular spaces where the living quarters, you wake up in the morning, you come out of your room and there's a space in the middle. Yeah. So it's likely that you're going to clash into each other a lot of the time, yeah. um, which is just good on all levels. Um, but at the same time, it has to be designed so that they will have their own private space because it's like a hostel where everything's open. You can very rarely get your own time and become reflective um, introspective and just rejuvenate yourself without having to be extrovert the whole time. Um, so there's going to be a lot of private space and a lot of shared space and the balance between the two where instead of it being, because um, some places there's both, but they're not separate, if that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas this, we want to have a dedicated shared space and a dedicated private space where you can be grounded and centered knowing that you have your own space that's yours, it's your room, it's your lounge room, whatever. Um, but in terms of the actual design of the space, the colors and whatever, we're still not sure yet. Yeah. Um, we want the community to have input. Yeah. And then when we actually build it as well, we're going to have a lot of input from our advisors as to what it does look like. Yeah. In the meantime, we're more focusing on the people and curating the community. Yeah. Because that's like the actual, um, like the space is very important, probably second priority, but the people is sure. even more important. Yeah. And you've done quite a bit of work, I think, in curating that community already. Yeah. 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 So we've had the applications. We still get more coming in. Um, like every week, there's a couple more that come in, which is going to be inevitable, which is cool. But we've already had applications come through. Um, we're doing interview process. So we're modeling a lot off what CoSpace uses in Pennsylvania. They have a very strong interview process and then a group interview process to see what the dynamics are like as well. Right. So we've used personality profiles. We use conversation. Um, a lot of it's just about being human, really. Um, so whenever I interview someone or whenever I meet up for someone for the first time, like Zan, I very, I, I like to just get, and I spend time getting real with them beneath the role, the title, the whatever. Let's talk about, you know, what your favorite color is, why. Like the little things like that, there's a reason behind them. Mm -hmm. And I like to get the reason behind them. Yeah. Um, why that shirt today? Kind of thing. Why those shoes today? Yeah. Why that meal yesterday? Um, just little things like that to find out because a lot of people will want to come across a certain way. They feel like they need to be seen as someone in order to be in the space, but we don't care what they think they need to be seen as um, because when they get up in the morning, they're going to be who they actually yeah, are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we want to get to that as much as possible. Yeah. Um, but the whole group interview thing is important as well. So actually, this Sunday we've got the potluck. 
thing, yeah. which is going to be bringing some of the applicants together plus all the community um, to see how people gel. So we'll be gauging, like, is this person an extrovert? Are they more oriented towards future-driven goals? But are they more driven by pain? Like, what are people's drivers and how do they show up? Yeah. And how can we balance that? Yeah. Um, and yeah. put together a good group. Exactly. Yeah. So that not everyone's introvert, not everyone's extrovert, not everyone's a leader. Like, you can't have that. Um, so I've studied a lot of personality profile systems and like Wealth Dynamics, Myers-Briggs, a lot of them. And um, yeah, it's exciting to kind of put it into action yeah. to make sure we have a whole group of people instead of a group of one. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, it got me thinking about um, just what you're saying then about people showing up as they are. Like, you know, some people might not quite get the co-living concept and think, well, mm. how is that different from being like a flatmate, for yeah. example? And I think just what you were saying then is a pretty good example of how it's going to be different. Like as a flatmate, you can kind of just hide in a way and be that role and mm. not really show up as you are because people might get a bit of a glimpse of it, but you can kind of scurry to the bathroom or out to work or whatever it is. Yeah. But this is going to be an environment where people are going to see you as you are all exactly. the time. Like a lot of those layers are going to be stripped off and you're going to find out who you are yeah. as well. And that's yeah. like, because the underlying, for me anyway, one of the underlying purposes behind it is personal transformation and personal liberation. Um, because I love the quote that Howard Thurman says about, don't ask, don't ask yourself what the world needs, ask yourself what makes you come alive, because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. Yeah. Um, and I just found that to be so true. And so this space to be a space where people can find that. Um, and usually what makes you come alive is actually yourself. Like it's you when you're doing what it is that you love and yep. what is a true expression of yourself. Um, and so these spaces are going to be engineered so that they do create that culling of layers that isn't actually you. Um, and yeah, it requires a community. Like we can't do the inner work yeah. without a mirror yeah. um, being another person. And that's what the co-living space is kind of for as well is to create that curated set of people that can be mirrors for you and for each other. Um, so that's a very big difference. Like, it's not going to be a space for someone who just wants to come and live a comfortable, like, chilled, no effort <laughs> kind of lifestyle yeah. where everyone's going to cook for me. It's like, well, no, you're not going to get cooked for. You're going to help. You're going to be part of it. Um, otherwise, it doesn't work. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely not for a lot of people. But um, our hope is, and with the exchange, one of the things that's different about base is that we have the open door kind of policy. Right. A lot of co-living spaces these days are more like communes where they're closed off. Okay. So you live there and you work there, yeah, but that, it's not open to the community, the outside community. So it's only really for those that live there. Yeah. Whereas this, we have the exchange where outside community can come in, they can come to yoga events, they can come to co-work during the day, they can come to events at night and then leave, they just don't live there. Um, and so the idea is that the nucleus of those that live there are going to be so, um, you know, living the culture and it's going to be so different for them, but the outside world comes in to an event and they just feel for some reason that, wow, whatever's happening here is powerful. I don't know why, mm. I don't know what's going on, but it's powerful. And then they go home and they want to come back again. Yeah. And maybe they'll come back more and more frequent and then they'll realize, hmm, I, I want to be part of this a bit more and maybe they want to live there. Um, so initially, it's not going to be for a lot of people, but we're hoping that by people coming and slowly experiencing it through the exchange, a space at the front, they'll want to be, become part of it more and more. Yeah. Um, and then the transition happens. That's kind of the... Man, I, f I feel so excited when you even talk about it. it oh, yeah. It just seems like... The more I... Yeah. Every time I 
but I haven't seen someone that's not excited yet, really, which is kind of scary as well. But on every level, it just makes sense. Like socially, yeah. this generation is so disconnected and everyone wants connection on a human level. Um, so it just makes sense. Environmentally, we know the sharing economy needs to happen to share resources. Economically, we know there's an affordable living problem in most places. Yeah, um, and so it makes sense. So kind of on every level of existence, it kind of makes sense. Um, and it used to make sense back, way back before industrialization and commercialization and all this. Um, so again, we've kind of done a full loop and come back again. But this time, we're doing it with so much more wisdom and science behind it and knowledge and awareness um, that, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. We can merge technology with it now as well, which is pretty... Uh, I don't know, I'm not so into technology, but I've had lots of conversations with people that like fit sensors in rooms and chairs that sense your heartbeat so that the other person on the other side of the table can feel your heartbeat as well, yeah. so that you can emotionally connect with someone. Um, like all this stuff is going to be so fun to play with. Yeah, it really will. And it'll be fascinating to see, I mean, what pops out of that during the 12 months and then at mm. the end of it too. Yeah, like, exactly. Like yeah. obviously, um, this is actually something we learned in the last six months. Um, we were talking about it just with the 12-month experiment. And obviously, funders and everyone don't want to hear that at all. Mm. Um, but we were just so excited about the experiment and whatever, because it's got a lot of hype around it, the whole experiment thing, and media love it. Um, but it's so much more than the experiment. Like Our real vision is to create a model for co-living in the modern urban world that can be replicated by property developers worldwide. Yeah. Um, like That's obviously the end goal. And for us to create our own keystone spaces in major cities around the world as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, we really want to test because so many people have tried it and failed. So many people have tried it and it's working, but haven't shared what's working and what didn't work while they, until they got there. Yeah. And so we want to bring all that together, test it in an experimental space, and then create an actual model that is hopefully going to be published in peer-reviewed articles by a research team that we've kind of put together. Yeah. And then, yeah, spread. Yeah, wow. That's kind of the, the end goal. Because yeah. I imagine the day where there's one subscription that I can pay worldwide that would mean I can travel anywhere around the world to a space that I know is built off the similar principles to one that I thrive in um, and just travel nomadically and live in these cultures and spaces around the world that are just so aligned. Like, that's my goal. <laughs> Man, I love it too. I love it. I, mean, I try and imagine myself in that situation too and it's a little bit harder with kids but I'm True. sure you'll get to that yeah, well, as well. Yeah, well, I think we talked about this last time Yeah. where, um, yeah, our, our, and even myself, our whole community is going to grow off of course and have yeah. kids but whether we do something about that or whether we just partner with some other co-living community that's done it specifically for young families, who knows. Um, I definitely want my kids to grow up in that kind of culture anyway. Yeah. Like when I go to festivals and see little kids there at a festival, just their parents just let them fly at a festival, let them go. Yeah. And it's scary for the parents, of course, but their kids get so nurtured, they learn about other people. They just grow up so much more emotionally intelligent. Um, and so to grow up not being put in a cage and all this, I just really want for my kids anyway, whenever that happens. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I do want, at, one stage for base to evolve to allow for young families yeah i think i think that uh like i you know my first experience was co-living i think i was talking about it was when i was in brooklyn and i came across an airbnb that had seven bedrooms and a big open plan area yeah and the lady called shell it was called shell's loft and she 
would have life drawing classes in there. She'd have pop-up nice. retail in there. She'd do co-working in there as well. She'd have people that had been living there with her for like, you know, months and year, yeah. up to a year at a time. And she was the first person that really introduced me to that term. And they were a bit of an older crew. Like they're all sort of in their 30s as uh -huh. well. None of them had kids. But I think there is going to be, I, I guess a bit like co-working is, it's sort of become quite a, a, a general thing to being quite niches developing yeah. now around yeah. different maybe um you know tech a tech community or a creative community mm -hmm. or maybe older or younger i can see a similar thing kind of evolving for co-living yeah as well, well there is also like the the hacker house movement in like san francisco yeah which is yeah because in san francisco on every corner there's a five-story mansion or something um so they like campus with hunter um they've uh failed now very openly and they've learned a lot because they couldn't find a model but they just leased massive mansions put a bunch of tech guys in there and they just hacked around the dinner table basically yeah. which isn't healthy and um, didn't really work obviously yeah. but there's a lot of that stuff that still goes on just hacker house stuff Yeah. Um, but we're more looking for like that whole model where there's yes some techies in the space yes there's some foodies in the space there's some finance people there's some people who aren't entrepreneurs at all but they just are young professionals, but they still want to live in a space. Um, for us, more of a diverse space, because our model as base is really as an investment fund. Yeah. So um, similar to Summit, which is an organization in the States that we're very aligned with, their model, Airbnb and Uber, were founded out of an event that they ran. Right. So the two founders met at an event that they ran, and then they funded. Um, so similar with base, our model is really to create these spaces where we know yeah. amazing ideas are going to happen just yeah. because we know that we've built the fabric for them to exist yeah. and then to fund those ideas. Um, and so for those amazing ideas to happen, you need to have a diverse range of people. Um, like Summit, they bring together sex therapists, um, entrepreneurs, billionaires, philanthropists, activists, people from very weird spectrums uh, or ends of the spectrum and then just create intimate human experiences for them to connect over whether they go diving whether they do yoga on the beach in Miami like they just create cool experiences and then they know that the connections there are going to form to create amazing things for the world and then that's when they support them um, so because of that we want it to be diverse yeah that's going to be our thing but of course yeah, there'll be cool. other offshoots where it is specifically tech specifically this specifically that yeah which is nice both are needed for sure yeah uh, maybe just to wrap up, a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. What do you, when you think about disrupting something in the future, or you know, what, what sort of dreams do you have about, you know, in years to come, about mm -hmm. things that you, you you maybe like to get involved with, or kind of uh -huh. after base? You know, what do you, hmm. where does your imagination go? Um, after base, the word quantum comes up a lot. Like um, the quantum. I was just reading something today about quantum accounting. Yeah. Um, and creating accounting models and finance models that are based on quantum physics, which is about the fact that we don't just trade money, but we trade time, we trade uh, social capital, we trade the, diff the seven different forms of capital. Um, and so I would like to, the only, the only hard thing with that is that to be able to trade something other than money takes a lot of time because we need to take time to get to know each other so that we get to know what your social value is worth, what, like all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and so it would be interesting to compile all the big data we have so that your holistic value, value or whatever you want to call it um, is easily um, kind of known and we can trade those things right. rather than having yeah. to... And part of me is like, no, but having conversation and connecting like that is good, but it means that 
so many people aren't going to be able to trade any other forms of capital because it's hard and because time is very, very, uh, well, it's not ubiquitous. Um, so I would like to create a way where we can easily trade other things other than, which obviously like cryptocurrency and bitcoins is starting to be one. Yep. Um, but things like social capital yeah. and intellectual capital, um, some easy way where we can trade all of that in one platform. Wow. So there's like skill yeah. shares, there is cryptocurrency, like all of these things, but at the moment they're on different platforms. And so if I, if I have cryptocurrency, but I want your intellectual capital, there needs to be a cross-platform connection. Yeah. Um, and maybe that'll just happen through APIs. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. But something where you can trade different forms of capital, simply. Awesome. Because um, yeah. there needs to be capital. Um, because if you take capital and commerce out of the equation, then a lot of different power dynamics come up That's right. in human relationships. Yeah. Um, it's like people will be able to tap into these wealth reserves that they don't even know. Exactly. It's like, oh, yeah. fuck, I'm valued as like the 12th richest person in the world when it comes to <laughs> yeah. intellectual capital in the domain of real estate, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Um, but to be able to see, and that's part of seeing a whole person, not just seeing their bank account mm. or not just their Rolodex of um, whatever. It's like seeing a whole person for who they are in all domains of life. Yeah. Um, which could be kind of scary, but at the same time, it presents opportunity. That's yeah, just one that I've never thought about before until three seconds after you asked the question. So um, that's exciting. Yeah, that is <laughs> exciting. A little side question to that. Is energy one of those forms of capital? Those seven that you mentioned? Because mm. I have this thing that, like, you know, when I, when I, people start to talk about energy management over time management. Mm -hmm. And I have this, you know, I have a real sense of that now when I interact with, say, a certain person or a certain group, I'm either kind of, expanding energy or I'm receiving energy or there's yeah. definitely an energy transaction going mm -hmm. on there. Likewise, if I do a particular task, sometimes it will drain the energy from me and other times it will actually fill me with energy. Yeah. 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 I, I don't think it is, but of course it can be. I don't yeah, know. Indeed. Like the, what I'm like basing it off is um, a book called Small Money. Um, pretty sure that's the name of the book. But um, yeah, it lays out seven forms of capital. Energy isn't one of them, but I imagine it would be. Because they yeah, are the same as soon as you walk in a room, you feel, if you let yourself, like you feel the energy in the room or you meet someone, you feel the energy totally. and you get a sense yeah. whether they're just going to be, um, yeah, zapping you or whether you're going to walk away from the meeting, like feeling energized and happy and yeah. inspired. Um, so yeah, I imagine it should be. Yeah, cool. How yeah. we measure that, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know either. Because it's like, <laughs> yeah, so many complexities. Some of those sensors under the chairs measuring heart rate. Oh yeah, perhaps. yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one final question then is, just for some of the people that might be listening, thinking like that sounds so amazing and so big and just to bring it down to, I guess, a more human and subtle level, mm -hmm. like what, what are some of the subtle things you can, you su suggest people do in their own lives to start to move in the direction that, you know, we've been talking about uh -huh. today? Yeah. Um, I think one of them, especially in the modern world, modern Western world is taking time out for yourself. So stop being so reactionary um, and responding to things the whole time. But like there's the typical for us stimulus and then reaction. Um, mm. Instead of stimulus, think about it, contemplate it, conscious action. Um, and so to take a time out and step back to be with yourself for a bit, yep. to reflect, um, because there's just so many positives with that. Number one, if you look at it from a health standpoint, um, so it's like, 
anxiety and depression are two massive, massive things these days, which are all related to the nervous system. Yeah. And the um, autonomic nervous system just going haywire. And so if you don't still your nervous system through meditation, through whatever, yoga, whatever you want to do, um, there is no other way you can prevent things like anxiety or depression. Um, you can try the other things, but you're still going to be somewhere on the spectrum unless you take care of your nervous system. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the control center. So taking a step back will allow you to do that more so. It will allow people to make more conscious decisions based on how they react to people and how they behave emotionally, physically, whatever. Um, plus, it allows you to learn. Like me, I was just thinking the other day, I journal so much and I write so much um, about my day, about everything. And that's how I've been able to draw lessons out of everything from my life, is actually to sit back, reflect, and draw wisdom from things. Yeah. Um, because in every moment, there's a chance to learn something if we choose to, and if we take the time to learn from it, or just move on and think that it was a shit experience, and it was bad, and it happened to me, and the world's against me. Cool, that's one way to look at it. Or I can look at it that it happened for a reason, and my job is to figure out what that reason was. Yeah. Um, and so without taking time out, you can't do that. So my first thing would be to take a step back, look at the stars, take time out, and actually reflect and learn, um, and be honest, yeah, with yourself more than anything. Yeah, mm. honest about what you do observe in those and times how, of reflection. Yeah, and how you feel about something, um, not what you think about it. Well, what you think about it's probably going to be that, oh yeah, that's cool, but I'll be seen as hopeless if I do that. Cool, how do you feel about it? Oh, it excites me. Cool. <laughs> what does that say? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, be honest with yourself. Um, and, yeah, what actually fuels you. Because nothing else kind of matters. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, including any suggestions you have for guests. You can get me on email through adam at subtledisruptors.com. I'm Adam Murray, and I look forward to hearing about your own subtle disruption. Bye for now.